I'm going to give a bit of a uh, bigger picture overview and then I think Sophie's going to talk about the really inspiring uh, strike campaign that's been going on at, at Sydney Uni. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll kind of cover everything between us. just want to start by talking about, um, you know, what's in the news nearly every day at the moment on our social media feeds, which is the stagnating wages that we've seen you know, in this country, not just in the last few years, but actually for 10 years before, um, even before the pandemic, you know, there was um, repeated, you know, calls from the unions that wages had, st had stagnated, weren't keeping up with the cost of living. And now, of course, we're seeing, you know, very high inflation rates and skyrocketing profits. The um, Australia Institute did a study that actually showed that uh, between 2021 to 2022, in that uh, financial year, Australian businesses increased their prices $160 billion over and above the increased costs of labour and inputs. And that is fundamentally what is driving the inflation crisis. You know, in the 70s, they talked about the wages uh, prices spiral. Now it's the profits uh, prices spiral. And the cost of living pressures, you know, are hitting people really hard. There's been a 25% um, increase in calls to Lifeline in the last year. We've seen 10 consecutive interest rate hikes from the RBA trying to, you know, get inflation under control, but putting, you know, huge pressures on, on households. And the Labor Party, you know, recognised this mood, recognised this problem and talked a big game in the lead up to the, uh, the election about getting wages moving again. Uh, their submission to the Fair Work Commission did say that, um, sorry, for the, for the minimum wage review, which is just coming up, that, uh, you know, they did stick to their word that they think wages should not go backwards, but they're certainly not advocating for an increase on top of, you know, simply keeping up with the cost of living. And even the ACTU, the um, Australian peak body for the trade unions, put in a submission for a 7% increase, which sounds quite reasonable, but for someone on the minimum wage, that's an increase of $1.50 an hour. It's actually still very, very low. Um, just to kind of take us away from Australia for a second, if we look across at what's going on in France at the moment, where the Macron government is trying to force through an increase in the pension age from 62 to 64, if people have sort of seen that on the news, there's mass strikes taking over society in a really, really dramatic way. There's, you know, rubbish piling up in the streets every day as garbage collectors are out on strike. The entire port city of um, Le Havre, if I've pronounced that right, has ground to a standstill with um, strikes taking over not just the port but the whole industrial zone. And there's reports of militant workplaces voting to take rolling strike action um, even without uh, waiting for union support. And it's an example where the industrial power that workers still have to take collective action, to withdraw our labour, to actually you know, stop the day-to-day -day functioning of society, which at the end of the day depends on working people going and, and doing their jobs every day. We can see that that power is still very real and still exists. 
But why aren't we seeing that kind of action here, even though anger and frustration is, is clearly growing? If you look at the number of strike days in Australia in the December quarter last year, it represented 21 days of you know, stop work per 1,000 employees. 21 per 1,000. If you go back to 1985, that figure was 300 per 1,000. And if you go back to the early mid and mid-70s, it would have been even higher. So it's declined a lot. This actually is, I think in 2017, it was down to about three, just over three days per 1,000 employees. So it's actually gone up a little bit recently. And, um, you know, in New South Wales, we did have last year the teachers and the nurses going out on strike multiple times, which was fantastic. Nurses actually um, defied their union's position to try to stick to a, a, a wage demand of 3.5% and they voted decisively through rank and file delegates meetings to fight on for 7%. But these strikes did wind down again in the lead up to the state election. But now that the state election is over and Labor's won and people would have seen we've got wall-to-wall -wall Labor governments now everywhere but Tasmania as well as federally, I think the anger and the sense that it's time for the Labor government to pay its dues uh, is, is building. Um, on Wednesday, we had a, a national strike uh, by the CFMMEU, the construction union, the maritime union went out. It was also supported by the electrical trades union and the plumbers union. And it was the first national strike we've had under a Labor government uh, that I know of. And it was actually an illegal uh, walk-off as well, which I'll get to a bit more. But the focus, there was a few things this rally was focused on. Um, it was the killer stone campaign to get manufactured stone top benches banned, which is actually killing construction workers who are getting silicosis. It's like the new asbestos, I guess you could say. Um, and to abolish the ABCC, which is a watchdog brought in by the Liberals targeted at the construction union to basically um, try to prosecute them as much as possible for going about their normal union business by, you know, making um, I guess, you know, targeting those laws most heavily on, on the construction union. And uh, while Labor has abolished the ABCC, many of those uh, main head bureaucrats have found new jobs in the Fair Work Ombudsman where those cases um, continue to be, um, you know, to be live cases, um, which the construction union is very unimpressed about. And, just to put this in perspective a little bit, one construction worker dies every week on average on Australian job sites through you know, safety negligence. There's been examples of um, walls collapsing and killing pedestrians where the union ended up getting fined more for the action they took than the, the actual building companies were fined for, for, the, for their negligence. So this is the kind of conditions that that we're up against. But one of the big things that came through at, at the rally was um, the cost of living and a commitment from the head of the union to fight for above inflation wage increases, even saying that 
we need to start looking, the union movement needs to start looking at national strikes to tackle the cost of living. And I think, you know, on this issue at least, uh, the union is putting its money where its mouth is for now. Um, DP World, uh, one of the um, Wharfy terminals, um, has just put in their log of claims a 10% 10, 10 wage increase or CPI, whichever is higher, saying they need 7% just to catch up and 3% on top of that. But as I said, this strike was in fact uh, illegal. It's very rare occurrence these days to have um, illegal, illegal strikes. Hanging over our heads is the threat of fines, both for the union and in extreme cases for individuals as well. An example of this is the Maritime Union was fined $2.2 million for a single dispute against Cube, which is owned by the corporate thugs that uh, used to own Patrick's. So how has this situation come about? I want to talk a bit about how we actually lost the right to strike and what it has to do with enterprise bargaining in the title of this talk. So most strikes in Australia are illegal and I've handed around um, a, a handout which people can have a look at and, and pass back which actually outlines most of the restrictions on the right to strike. There's a lot so I'm not going <laughs> to read through them all but essentially Anything outside your bargaining period where you're negotiating a new contract is illegal. So if the boss sacks someone, if they discriminate against somebody, if they breach the agreement, if they're found out to you know, be stealing your wages, you actually cannot go on strike against any of that unless you're in your bargaining period. Also illegal are solidarity strikes with other workers, including in your own industry. So UTS can't go out on strike in solidarity with Sydney Uni for example, and pattern bargaining, which is where different, um, the different workplaces within one industry try to go out, coordinate their action to go out to get the same conditions in their agreements. And you can date this back to uh, 1992 when the former Labor Prime Minister, Paul Keating, introduced enterprise bargaining and protected action. And if anyone saw his recent interview, which is actually really worth a watch about AUKUS and um, tensions growing with China, he actually admitted in there that he spent most of his political career fighting the left, even though he's somehow gone down in history as a bit of a lefty. But at the time, he was actually deeply hated by, uh, by militant unionists, and he dramatically changed the industrial landscape. So what enterprise bargaining did was rather than workers across a whole sector going out together, say universities, the public service, the construction industry or the retail industry, it was broken up into individual workplaces, enterprises. That particular business enterprise had to fight it out alone. And so this not only you know, severely broke up the collective strength of workers, but it made it impossible for what was a common practice where the strongest, most unionised workplaces would be able to fight the hardest and set the benchmark. And when they got an agreement, that, that those conditions would automatically spread to the rest of the sector. Now you have very 
different conditions within within a sector. And you know, mine my, my own is an example. At, uh, I work for a Stevedore company called Hutchinson uh, at Port Botany, where Wharfies and Next door is DP World and Patrick's, and Patrick's work has actually won in their re recent agreement um, a pay rise that matches inflation. At the time they got that in the agreement, inflation was tracking at less than 2%, so it was a bit of a, a coup, but they actually got their 7% wage increase in the last um, anniversary of their agreement. And so now they're steaming ahead of, of the rest of uh, the sector, because that is not going to flow you know, across to the other companies, and we're going to have to do some work to catch up. But even in the public sector, you saw that each department was broken down. So the health department, the education department, they had to fight uh, separately. And alongside this, Keating introduced the concept of protected action, which technically actually made striking legal for the first time. Striking has never been legal across the board in Australia, but he specifically designated a particular time and way that it could be legal when you're bargaining for a new agreement. And then anything outside of that was officially unprotected and it paved the way, first starting with small fines, but gradually increasing to very, very big penalties for taking action outside that time. And he boasted about you know, suppressing days of industrial action, suppressing strikes. And this essentially, this taking away this sort of regular on-the-job power to deal with disputes in a day-to-day -day way, you know, to defend your workmates, defend each other by, by walking off the job and threatening the boss, this actually precipitated the biggest decline in union membership in Australia's history because that you know, daily practice of exercising what unionism means went out the window. So from 1986 to 2007, we went from 46% of employees being in a union just to 19%. And one of the other, you know, really insidious impacts of enterprise bargaining is that it ties up our unions with a lot of work because they're going from agreement to agreement to agreement, dozens of separate agreements to negotiate, rather than focusing that time in between on recruiting, on preparing for the next big showdown, um, and doing you know, other, other union business, essentially. So I know I'm almost out of time, but I just want to finish by addressing some of the new laws that Labor's brought in. Actually, credit where credit's due, they have you know, done some decent things. They have abolished the ABCC with the caveats I mentioned before. They have outlawed the uh, sort of blanket termination of agreements as an industrial tactic from, from bosses. Um, they're extending, you know, parental leave and so on. But one thing they're talking up as well is multi-employer multi bargaining for low-paid industries. Uh, so particularly industries like childcare, aged care and call centres being able to bargain collectively. And I think this is a good thing. You know, these small, very, very low paid industries, you know, it's extremely hard to fight alone, get a good agreement um, out, of, out of those industries. But this is definitely not going to, you know, overtake 
enterprise bargaining because one of the preconditions of being able to go into multi-employer bargaining is that there is no existing EBAs. So any, essentially any industry that's strong enough to have a union will already have an enterprise bargaining agreement and so they will be automatically ruled out of this multi-employer bargaining stream and on top of that Tony Burke unilaterally ruled out any part of the construction industry uh, just to make sure and you know made quite a point of talking up that enterprise bargaining is still you know sacrosanct. But the other thing that they've slipped into this secure jobs better pay bill are laws um, around what they're calling intractable disputes where bargaining campaigns that go on for more than nine months are now going to be referred to the Fair Work Commission uh, to be arbitrated. So in other words, rather than fighting it out on the floor with the boss, with your industrial power, if it takes more than nine months, it's going to go to a bunch of legal technocrats who are just going to make a ruling and that's it, that's your agreement. For Industries that actually fight, that actually use, you know, strikes as part of their bargaining campaign, this is really, really bad news. Um, bargaining campaigns are going on for longer and longer and that's not a good thing. Like my last uh, round of bargaining took three years to get an agreement and I don't think we should let them drag on that long. But part of the reason they do is because, say on the wharves, if we all went out together, you know, across the three terminals, we would immediately come under laws called, you know, they call them like economic damage or damage to the welfare of the population. They can just unilaterally terminate your strike. And it's a pity Dave House is not here to talk about how that exactly happened on the, um, the, the Sydney trains. So, you know, with all these laws, unions have gone more and more to, you know, small piecemeal bits of strike action over or go slows over a longer period of time. So now we're going to be wedged between that on the one hand and having to get an agreement within nine months on the other. My union, the MUA, is responding to that by saying we're going to go for shorter agreements of just two years, we're going to have a focus log of claims and we're going to have to go out the gate hard and fast. And I think this is really good but it's going to take preparation because we're dealing with a workforce that's actually out of practice. Um, you know, not just recently, but for decades, we've lost that tradition of going out on really hard, long, long strikes. And I think we will have to be prepared, you know, to break those laws if they do try to come down on us and say, you know, we can't sustain this much strike action. You're causing too much damage to the economy. We're terminating it. Unless unions have a response to that, this strategy is is not going to work. But to fight back against the cost of living and more broadly to, ta to tackle you know, the climate crisis we're facing, the you know, tensions growing around war and nuclear submarines, and generally to reclaim the power that we have you know, on the job and in society, we need to fight for that right to strike to change the world for, for a better and I think one of the first opportunities we have to do this is May Day, which will be on May 1st, which some of the more radical unions will be making a stop work rally um, and there's also going to be a rally um, on May, for, for May Day on May the 6th in Port Kembla around the nuclear subs where they're actually planning to, to base them. So there's going to be some really you know, important strikes coming up in May and 
Sophie, you know, is going to talk to us about hopefully the, the, the Sydney uni strikes can be part of that as well. Thanks. Okay. Uh, thanks, Arima. Uh, Sophie. All right. Um, so, the, as, as the Sydney, like from the Sydney Uni perspective, I think it's important to bring this in because it's easy to look at this graph of strikes going down, membership going down, and think this just determinist story of that's always the way it's going to be. And I think the story of Sydney Uni is is a, just a, a bright spot of you know the possibility the possibility of struggle in the right in the right conditions. And I also think, as part of that, I do want to you know uh, talk about the the. While the right to strike has been massively curtailed, you know, by by you know decades of right wing attacks from the Labor governments and the Liberal governments, there's still a, a massive potentiality for strikes to have, you know, an enormous an enormous power. And through that story, I also want to talk a little bit about what that means in terms of the fight for to regain that right to strike. So first of all, just to to kind of give a sense of the power of, of, what, of what the strikes can do. Um, I was looking at a leaflet that we produced, you know, a couple of years ago before the strike round that was trying to convince casuals to join the union and it had a list of our, a list of our wins. And they were, they were cute. They had, um, we, 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 we were able to have some, you know, important wins. In the arts faculty, where we have like 60% density, we are able to stop all the permanent job cuts and save, save a bunch of the departments. We are able to have some small wins on wage theft in the mathematics department and the social sciences uh, department of like one or two, one or two hours. Um, and we won some things about, around our casual hiring practices. And all of those things were actually really important and play, paid kind of dividends later on as we kind of built this radicalization around casual issues that's now, that's now been part of the story today. But in the last 21 months when we've been allowed to strike and we've been able to strike, uh, we have really pushed that forwards. I mean, it's been a mammoth campaign. We've broken all the records for the union. 21 months bargaining never happened before. 2,200 plus union members never happened before. Nine days of strike action never happened before. So for for our, for our union, this was this was a these these were really important um, and and a, and a very difficult difficult struggle. But the kind of wins that we've been able to have, you know, really I think for me. Uh, particularly comparing it to this leaflet of before, just showed the power of strike action. We won five days of sick pay for casuals. We've won a 16.1% pay rise, which isn't enough over four years to meet inflation, but it's far more than, than what, what, what a lot of workers are getting right now. We've won 20% decasualisation and some permanent jobs uh, to try and decasualise the sector. And we've won some other things around dignity, like things like gender affirmation leave or working from home rights or protections against wage theft, which are you know really important felt things, particularly things like wage theft, even if they don't sound that grand. Um, in terms of that struggle, we're kind of in the middle of a big vote on whether we will be striking in, in, in May Day and everything's as it, as it often is, you know, really hanging on the edge. But we, we are fighting on because there are, there, are, there are some huge issues that we still haven't won on. Um, the management are trying to massively expand education focused roles, these kind of hyper exploited teaching positions that they want to they, they want to ex expand. Still fighting over First Nations parity where we're demanding that management employs Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to the same percentage that they exist in the population because we shouldn't have racist universities, we should have anti-racist universities. Um, and also um, uh, continuing to fight on, on that question of pay. A billion dollar institution, you know, literally a billion dollars in profits can afford to give some of that to the workers. Um, and I think uh, that, like, the, the, 
nonetheless, those wins I think are really substantive. And even in a you know a workplace that isn't you know it's not like the ports. We're not uh, creating or distributing commodities and directly making a profit for the boss. It's much we we play a much more indirect role in the system in you know creating the next generations of workers and uh, you know the the research and things that the, that the ruling class needs. But uh, nonetheless, like I think th those are th it just shows the power of strike action that has like nothing else to shut down the workplace, show who runs the place, show that they've got nothing. The emperor has no clothes. You know they can sit up on their on their fancy committees and and talk, but they can't do the teaching. They don't do the work. Um, and so uh, I guess yeah, the the other the other yeah. So what what's the difference between Sydney Uni and 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 other workplaces that are really you know struggling right now? I think. It's a really uh, exciting example of kind of the rank and file uh, militancy, and there's, we've been able to get a get a position where you know groups of organised you know socialists have come together with people who you know might not be socialists, but you, you know are, are on the left wing of the union struggle want a really good enterprise agreement and, and are prepared to fight, and and being able to build from the bottom up, uh, you know, a, a totally different pole of politics, one that says you know we will fight, we will win. The next thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit of just once we started to take those strikes, just uh, give kind of the the feeling of what what these anti-strike laws actually mean on the ground and what what they uh, how, you know how it feels because I think once you you know that Rosa Luxemburg um, quote it's only once you start to move that you begin to feel your chains and I think that's true you know of striking it sounds like over there but when you actually start to strike you know the overall system is just ridiculous I mean over the pandemic management got away with five percent jobs cut, we weren't able to strike. We weren't able to stop them and they, and they, and they got away with it. We were able to stop them in, in pockets, but we weren't able to do it. Inflation goes, th goes through the roof. We're tied down to a 2% wage increase and our, our wages went backwards by 5%. Everyone's really struggling with mortgages, with rent, with everything. Um, unis right now are coordinating this attack on workers, trying to strip back conditions, give, give shitty pay rises. And we can't do a, a nationwide strike to say, screw this. Um, and we can't do a nationwide strike that says, actually, it's the Albanese government who funds these and who has the rotten funding structures that create these competitive conditions, casualised contracts and everything, and to say we need, we need more from Albanese. All of those things are just necessarily illegal. But even when we start doing the protected action um, that that Erima talked about, the, the you know the period where you're allowed to strike, you know now, even then it's massively curtailed. We need to spend thousands of dollars to do a ballot of all, mem all, all members, and then when workers said we, that we maybe want to take put more actions on that, now we're having we're playing this game game of um, chicken with the union officials of whether they're going to support us or not in 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 reballoting because it costs thousands of dollars. You need to be able to defend it in the. In the, in the court, it's a it's a it's a difficult process. Even after we did that full ballot, we managed to get 50% of members to vote with more than 50% of them to say that we will strike. The union forgot to activate one of the clauses, and and it meant that it was now illegal for us to do a stop work meeting, even though all the workers had voted for it, but we hadn't done a little technicality where someone had formally pretended to do it, do a stop work within 30 days, and so now it was illegal again. And so when workers actually voted to do a stop work meeting, the union flew in and just said, it's illegal, you can't do it, you're going to risk not only, you know, you're going to make all of your strikes illegal and you're going to risk your whole agreement, it's all, it's all going to go in. And that same politics, I think we've heard from them again and again with this, there's this requirement of good faith bargaining. And again and again, the union officials came in and, and told us, when we were holding the holding firm picket lines and linking arms, they were, you know, terrified that we were going to break the law. Management management are going to invalidate the agreement. You can't do it. It's illegal. Um, 
what else? Oh, mention of political issues when we started raising things like the, you know, the leadership. We want to strike out the leadership of the university. That's illegal because it's not in the enterprise agreement. You can't strike over it. You can't strike over funding. So even just what we're allowed to talk about, we're being policed. And so I just think, uh, yeah, the, the degree of that, as well as the economic damage thing, when we've been talking about wanting to do marking bounds, that is a, a constant thing that we're facing. It would be economic damage if we refuse to release the marks, or we refuse to let the next generation of teachers and nurses and everything else flow onto the economy. We know how badly it needed. So, yeah, we do have we do have this power, and I just yeah, just just to share the the experience, we do badly need to fight back these laws, and and which are you know you can see it's what's bound you know workers' hands behind their back. If you want to know why, you know the wages have gone down, the stag massive stagnation, we're being smashed by neoliberalism, workloads are through the roof, everyone's stressed out of their brains, and now, now they're pumping up the um, interest rates. What's wrong with that situation? Workers can't strike back, Work workers haven't been able to fight back. So the final thing I wanted to talk about is, I guess, the what the politics are that are needed to turn that situation around and um, fight back for the right to strike. So. The way that I see it, there's a, there's a debate within the union officials between like the left-wing ones and the right-wing ones. So, and, and in the example of Erema was talking about the Labor's new laws, I think it's a good example. So one of the things Erema mentioned was this, uh, the compulsory ar arbitration that they're, they're seeking to introduce. Now this is this rotten new requirement that now is being waved over our heads because after, on June 6th, these new laws are going to uh, kick in and we, we are potentially facing compulsory ar ar arbitration. And what that means is that we get hauled into the courts, which are conservative ruling class bodies. You know, it's not like us fighting on the streets against the bosses. It's us arguing over legal specifics in the courtroom, which is never where a union is strong. So we're getting threatened with that in the union saying, you've got to throw in all your demands now. You need to compromise on everything immediately. If you don't, we might get taken to the commission and everything's, everything's going to, you know, they're going to they're take back everything. That's actually the position of the left-wing officials who are crit critical. They're talking about the right to strike, the fact that we need to write the right to strike, but they're terrified of these laws and they're not prepared to fight them. Uh, the right-wing officials are even worse. They're the ones who are, say, well, we don't have any power at the workplace anyway. We should get that arbitration window. Currently, it's nine months. We should get it even shorter. What if we could go to arbitration after three months? They were, that's literally what they, were, what they were arguing for. So we've obviously got to support the left-wing officials who are prepared to call out the right to strike, who are prepared to you know, say that we need more. But it's totally clear to me from that whole experience that I, that I kind of described that actually a rank-and-file politics from below is absolutely necessary. We're, like the, the officials are never going to want to break the laws. They're never going to want to risk these fines if they don't have to. But for workers, the kind of compromises that we need in order to push up, to accept that system are eventually going to hit a point where, where some workers are going to see that by breaking the laws, they could have a win, and if they and and if they don't break, if they stay within the laws, they're going to lose. And for me, I think what we've been doing at Sydney Uni, it, it's it's not to um, glorify the uh, you know illegal strikes. Illegal strikes, you know, ha actually happen all the time. All last year, illegal strike after illegal illegal strike. It's incredibly difficult to build a legal strike. You know, it's it, just trying to get workers out out of the gates and striking and voting to strike and actually. Picketing is incredibly difficult, even harder when you're potentially facing fines and having to come up against the police and the government and, and stuff like that. But nonetheless, I think it, yeah, the, the, the key to me is that um, at some point, I think some workers are going to see the need to break these laws and we need to have, by that time, built up a politics 
uh, that says that these these laws were always rotten. They need to be broken. They need to be like they need to be thrown out. And so instead of turning on those workers and saying no, 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 be you know. Don't be so don't don't be so unreasonable. Let's just play tricky with the law to say, yeah, I'm with the I'm with the train workers when they were when they were banned, uh, ruled illegal, and, and we're going to fight on. And I think that that rank and file organisation is absolutely going to be um, necessary. I've brought a couple of examples of what we've been doing at Sydney University, and I'd be lo love if people in the room who've been intimately involved in that could talk a bit about it. But in terms of actually trying to build up that politics of rank and file networks who can tell the stories of what's working in what work area, what's not working, how we can chart the way. Forward. And I've bring, brought along a couple of bulletins that people can come and read over and get a sense of the kind of thing that we've been trying to build in terms of that rank and file bottom up movement at, at Sydney University. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, what's clear to me is that um, just, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll just conclude. I think we need to connect the dots between where we are right now and where we need to be in terms of breaking the law. A lot of the time it won't be breaking the law, but I think it needs to be building up the kind of politics that can win in the here and now. We have to fight back against the system from within the system, and we need to keep uh, encourage workers to strike and protest as far as we possibly can. Uh, but we also need to, be, I think meetings like this are actually really important to start talking about that need for the right to strike and the need to be prepared to break uh, bad laws when push comes to shove. It's something we're even having to talk about at Sydney Uni right now. If we can't get a protected action ballot and we want to do marking bans, that will be illegal. And it's just something we have to frankly talk about as something that we may be forced, forced to, you know, make the case for. Um, but I also think, uh, yeah, in general, the possibility of the kind of rank and file movements that we've seen at Sydney University, I don't think there's anything special about USID. I don't think we're especially radical or anything like that. I think the difference is that there's been a group of people, a group of rank and file militants who are prepared to go up against the officials, who are prepared to stake their claims and, and make the case for a different kind of politics. And I can see no objective reason why that couldn't be happening in every, almost every workplace, you know, in the nurses and the teachers and so on. I think the objective possibilities are there. They just need to be organised. Finally, I mean, it's not going to come from the union officials. I mean, Erma spelled out this story of the decline of the right to strike. Where did that come from? These accords, this idea that if the bosses and the workers sat down at the table and made an agreement, we won't strike if you promise, Pinky promised to give us some rights someday. That's what's led us into the pathetic situation we're in at now. Have they learnt from it? Absolutely not. These laws, these new arbitration laws, they were a result of the exact same politics with Albanese from the Labor Party, Sally McManus from the unions, sitting down with the bosses and saying, can we do a little trade? You give us the ABCC, but we'll give you some arbitration over here. And if you give us this, we'll give you that. Rotten, not gonna work. We need to, we need to be on the front foot and fighting. And, and, and I think, you know, there was a, there was a, there's been a call in the AFR this week I've, I've seen that was um, the CFMEU, Christy Kane, was saying, you know, in this context, the only thing that's going to break the bosses, the only thing that's going to, you know, actually beat the inflation crisis that every single worker is feeling right now would be a general strike. A general strike would be illegal, but that is literally what it will take for us to go forwards and not backwards. And so I think, yeah, here's to, here's to that politics. <laughs>